0: Good good morning, everybody. Good morning. How are you? I hope everybody's doing well. Thank you for coming out and being with us this morning and, and celebrating with us as we gather for worship. It's a day that our Lord has given us and it's an opportunity for us to celebrate. It is uh, kind of a t- sad time for a fellow church, uh, First Baptist Church of Asheville, North Carolina. I have a number of friends that are down there. Uh, their executive pastor of 20 years, who's only in his 50s, died of a heart attack last night. And so their church is really struggling. He was, uh, he was a husband and father of three. And so we need to remember them. His name was Tommy Bratton. He was a very, he was a fine man. So uh, we need to remember them. They're kind of turning their 11 o'clock service into a bit of a memorial for him to Today and so uh, we need to pray for their churches. We gather here this morning. If you have joined us for the first time to come to worship, we are glad that you're here. There should be a Connect card in the pew rack right in front of you that you can fill out. Those of you who are joining us via live stream can go to the address that you'll see on your screen and let us know that you've been here as well. If you have prayer concerns, write us at either of those and let us know, and we'll try to respond as best we can. But we're glad you're with us, and we hope that you will come be with us again in the days that are ahead. We've gathered to worship. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this moment that we have to be in your presence. I thank you for the love that you offer us. I thank you for the hope that you bring to us. I thank you for the grace that you pour upon us day after day. We are in your presence today, O Lord. You have promised that where two or more are gathered, you would be there. You have promised us that before we walk through the door of this room, you would be waiting on us. Help us, O Lord, to offer our best to you and help us to come to this place with expectation in our heart that you will pour yourself upon us. Help us to know you and to love you and to bask in your love for us, Lord, for it is in your name we offer our prayer. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.
1: Casting my cares aside. I'm leaving my past behind. I'm setting my heart and mind on you, Jesus. I'm reaching my hands to yours. We're leaving their soul Today is the day I cry here by prayer from the ends of the earth. Thank
2: say most of us probably listen to ourselves but we may not necessarily talk to ourselves now you might be saying Kimberly if you're talking to yourself if you're talking back to yourself you're a little crazy
3: you're just a little
2: crazy Tommy, Tommy just says he does it all the time so he and I are the only crazy people in the room We all have a sort of an internal monologue that goes with us throughout the day, right? It's a reaction to the things that happen. It's it's a reaction to the feelings that we have as a result of the things that happen throughout the day. But when that monologue is based on feelings, it's not always based in truth. If I get up in the morning and I think, man, I, don't, I didn't sleep well last night, it's gonna be a terrible day. Or today's gonna to be hard because I just don't feel great. I can counter that thought, that inner monologue with, but today is the day the Lord has made and I'm gonna rejoice and I'm gonna be glad in it. I'm gonna let him lead me through the day when I come to a situation where my inner voice is saying I can't handle this this is just too much for me I can't do it God I need thee I counter it with truth I talk back to myself I need you God I need your leading I need you to be my comfort my tower my strength my provider my healer you have the ability to see me through this in Psalm 42, uh, the, the psalmist is very discouraged. There are 11 verses in Psalm 42 and the first 10 verses are very much, oh, woe is me, my life is terrible. Uh, the, the last verse, verse 11 of Psalm 42 is, says, he starts talking back to himself. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. That inner monologue gets a little self-centered. It gets a little uh, um, too focused on how we feel and not focused on who God is and who we are as a result of who God is. And so I'm gonna challenge you this week to talk back to yourself. Tell yourself the truth, remind yourself of the truth. These songs are a great way to do it we're about to sing a hymn that has some very old language in it. I'm gonna translate a couple of phrases for you. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. When I get out of tune with the truth, God bring me back to the truth of who you are. Tune my heart. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. God, I know I have a tendency to listen to that voice and not talk back to it. Remind me of the truth. Remind me who you are. Let's continue to worship and sing together. Come, thou fount of every blessing.
1: Come, thou fount of every blessing. To my heart to sing thy. Shes
4: Let's pray together, shall we? Oh God, you are indeed the fount of every blessing. You are worthy of our worship, and you are worthy to be praised. So we've gathered here in this place to seek you, to meet you, to listen to you, to worship you. And we are confident that you are here with us that you are here around us and that you are here within us you know our innermost thoughts you know the desires of our hearts so may you turn those thoughts and those desires towards you that through our sharing with one another in song in prayer and in the proclamation of your word that we might hear again your still small voice speaking truth and love and grace and peace. Illumine our minds and soften our hearts that we may recognize you and respond in joy and love and praise. O God, we come with thanksgiving this morning for the many gifts that we receive each and every day. Things like the hug of a child, the song of a bird at the eve of the house, A small cool breeze in the heat of the day, a night without restlessness, a phone call from a good friend, the sound of laughter, the entertainment from a good book, the taste of fresh fruit, the memory of a happy time, the promise of our faith. And here in this place where we are now as your people, brothers and sisters in Christ, where we sing the songs of Zion and we hear the reading and listen to the proclamation of your word, and we lift up our prayers together as one people, we are reminded again that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And so we raise our voices in gratitude for the beauty and the glory of your creation and your presence in our lives. Thank you, Lord, Oh God, at the same time that we give thanksgiving for all your good gifts to us, we also know of your desire and your plan for justice in this world. And so we lift up to you those who are poor, those who are hungry, those who are lonely, those who are broken, the outcast and the ill, those who grieve the loss of loved ones, those who are emotionally distressed, those who suffer from the hurt others have inflicted upon them. Be with all these and others who are experiencing difficulty and hardships, whatever they may be. Grant peace and grace in their lives and help those of us who have gifts to share with them to stretch forth our hands this day in love and compassion and thoughtfulness and care as we have opportunity. Teach us, Lord, to Just be more sensitive that we may see Christ in those in whom we minister. And may your kingdom come and your will be done in the meager attempts that we make. We try to make the world a better place. Help us to be instruments of your mercy and grace. Help us to do the hard things, the difficult things that you call us to do. Teach teach us to forgive those who offend us Help us to turn the other cheek to those who insult us. Help us not to return evil for evil, but to love our enemies and to do good to those who hurt us. And Lord, teach us to pray for one another and to encourage one another. Oh God, we confess that many times we're anxious for our lives, what we will eat, what we will wear, where we will live, All sorts of other things worry and concern us. Help us to place our faith in the firm foundation of your word, the incomparable Christ, and to know and to live our lives with confidence that what you have begun in us, you will bring it to completion in Christ, who is in all things, who reconciles all things, and who holds all things together. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless our church make us what you would have us to be make us a blessing to you and to this community help us to be the presence of christ to inhabit the spirit of christ to be the hands and the feet of christ help us to make christ number one first place in our lives supreme in all things this is our prayer for we pray it in the name of the one For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Join with me in our words of pardon and assurance. The Lord has come to bring us grace and forgiveness. His steadfast love endures forever. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven. Thanks Thanks be to God.
0: I think you need another dose. You need to sit down. <laughs> I would like to take just a, a minute this morning for us to remember to have silent prayer over First Baptist in Asheville. And that's not only one of the largest churches in North Carolina, but it's one of the best churches that you would find down there. Uh, during the civil rights movement, when most white churches in the South were either ignoring it or standing against it, they took a very very strong stand in favor of that and, and uh, became quite a witness to that state. Also, when we had our tragedy in 2007 at Virginia Tech, they took their morning worship services the next Sunday and carved out a large portion of their service just to pray for our church and to remember us and to pray for our town and to remember what had happened here. So I would like to take a few minutes to have a moment of prayer and, and remember them as well. Let's pray together in silence and then I'll close this. if there is one thing that we know, it is that we do not know how life will turn for us. We do not know when those difficult times will come or when some joy will just flood our hearts in surprise. Joy has not flooded the hearts of our sister church in North Carolina today, nor has it flooded the, the souls of the family who has lost a loved one. We pray for the family of Tommy Breton. We ask you to be with them in, in your power and strength. Help them to know that they are not alone in their struggles, nor are they going to be alone in the days that are ahead. You will be with them, just as you hold Tommy close today, and, and he enjoys the reward of a life that has been well lived. So we pray, O oh God, that they will enjoy the reward of knowing that they will never be forsaken by you, You will be there to wrap your arms around their family and and hold them close and to give them strength to keep going even in the midst of a great surprise that has wounded them deeply. We pray for First Baptist Church as they grieve the loss of a minister that they have loved dearly for 20 years, a man who who has brought stability to that church in some difficult times for them. We ask you to be with them and help them to know that that we are remembering them and that we are lifting them in our prayers this morning. We pray that they will be able to give a shining example of faith in the midst of the tragic and that they themselves will be lifted as they try to minister to a family who is grieving and as they try to take care of each other in the midst of this grief. Help us to do all that we can to try to help them, Lord. And help us to remember them day after day, not just once in this morning, but in the days that are to come. Let your spirit be upon them, and let it be upon us as we try to lift them up. For it is in your name we offer our prayer today. Amen. Our scripture lessons today come from the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of John. They are dealing with the same story, but it's coming from different perspectives. One of the the good things about reading the four gospels together is you're getting the same stories, but you're getting them from different perspectives and different people. You're seeing through their eyes what they are experiencing. Uh, Luke and, and Mark were not there when this, these stories were written. They, they took their materials from those that they knew, from Paul, from Peter, from Andrew, and, and, and uh, Luke himself was, was purported to have been a very good friend of Mary Magdalene, so we can see this coming from her experience as well. At the same time, John was there. And saw this himself, and he saw things in the story and recorded things that no one else did. And so today we're putting these stories together to, to piece together something that I think we need to focus upon. Our first passage comes from Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 24. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them, Jesus told them, In this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I... Am among you as one who serves. And then from the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had wrapped around himself. After washing his feet, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Toward the end of his life, Dr. (coughs) Excuse me. Dr. Albert Einstein, did something that was a great shot to all of his friends. Einstein had always had two portraits up in his office. They were portraits of two of his most admired scientists. One was Sir Isaac Newton, the other one was James Clerk Maxwell. He loved those two men, the accomplishments that they had, and so he had had their portraits up ever since he had had an office. Now he was coming toward the close of his life and his career. He had a meeting in his office one day and when everyone came in, they were shocked that those two portraits were gone. Instead of those two portraits, he had put up portraits of Mahatma Gandhi, the man who had led India to freedom, and to Dr. Albert Schweitzer, a Christian missionary and physician who was the greatest missionary in history to the continent of Africa. When his friends saw it, they were just taken aback by it. And they said, why did you do this? And when they did, he just looked at them with a slight grin on his face. He said, it's time to replace the image of success with the image of service. Great scientist, one of the greatest in the world, recognized that there was more to life than success, and there was more to life than just science you go to the Bible and you look for the word success, you can look all day long and you will never find it. The word success is never referenced anywhere in scripture. But if you go to the Bible and you look for the word servant, you'll find it over 500 times. And some of those times are in the passages of scripture that I've just read to you this morning. If you read these two passages of scripture together, like I did just a minute ago, what you're going to discover is that one of the most important truths of the gospel is contained in these two passages. And that truth is Jesus came to turn the world upside down. And one of the ways that he did that was by turning the value systems of the world upside down. He changed the values of the earth. And that's exactly what is happening in these two passages. Jesus is willfully and intentionally creating an alternative lifestyle for every Christian on the face of this earth. And honestly, that's about as popular now as it was then. People didn't like it that night, and people still don't seem to like it until this day, but that doesn't change the fact that that's exactly what God was doing, and He was doing it very intentionally through Jesus Christ. The setting for these two stories was the upper room. It was the night before the crucifixion. Jesus has brought all of His disciples together to celebrate the Passover meal, but instead of just celebrating the Passover, He completely turns this meal up upside down by turning it into what we know as the Lord's Supper. From then on, every time they met to eat this meal, it was going to remind them not just of the Passover, but it was going to remind them of Jesus' sacrifice, and it was going to remind them that Jesus had confidence in them, even when he knew that they were about to screw things up. And what you need to remember is it took less than Five minutes for these people to start screwing things up. Just as soon as they finished taking the Lord's Supper, the Bible says, they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Now, get this picture, folks. Jesus is talking about dying for the sins of the world, and the disciples are arguing about who's going to get the first promotion in the new kingdom of God. They're wondering who Jesus is going to elevate to number one in the kingdom. Folks, that's about as clueless as anybody could possibly get. These men had been walking with Jesus for three years. They had been listening to his teachings. They had been watching him work. They had seen the miracles that he had done, but they still didn't get that Jesus was living by a different set of values. They still didn't get that he was turning things upside down. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure that we get it either. I'm not sure that the modern church gets it at all. We've heard this story over and over. We've read this story. We've seen people try to practice this story, but we are not sure that we get this story because I'm not sure that we get that life is not about us. It's not just about me and what I want and when I want it. It's not about my wishes, my desires, my needs, my plans, my goals, my dreams, my hopes, my ideas. That's the way we... Tend to remind ourselves of things, but it's just not how it has to be. Life is not just about me, it's about serving God by serving others. Colonel John Irwin was the last astronaut to walk on the face of the moon. A few years after he did that, he was making a speech at Princeton University. When he got done, one of his admirers walked up to him and asked him what it was like to be an international celebrity. And when they did, Colonel Irwin kind of chuckled and he said... As I was returning to earth, I realized that I wasn't an international celebrity. I've been put on the earth to be God's servant, and my role is to use what I've experienced to glorify God and to help God's people. In other words, life is not about winning in the traditional sense of the word. In fact, sometimes the biggest win that we can have is found through losing. And one of the best modern examples you're ever going to see of that is President Jimmy Carter. America had a lot of hope for Jimmy Carter when he became the president of the United States. They were really hoping that everything was going to change, but everything didn't change when he was president. And by the time his presidency was over, people were very disappointed in his leadership. And as a result, Ronald Reagan won by a landslide in that election. President Carter was painfully disappointed by that, and he was most worried that people were disappointed in him. And so he went back to Plains, Georgia, and he started trying to figure out what he was going to do with the next chapter of his life. He met with some of his friends and started talking about it. One of his friends suggested that he take the time to write his memoirs and that he just enjoy the spoils of being an ex-president. When that friend did that, Jimmy Carter looked at him with a very stern look and he said some words that have been quoted ever since. He looked at them and he said, I can't do that. I'm a Christian. And so instead of doing what other people would have done, President Carter turned his biggest defeat into his greatest victory. First, President Carter started the Carter Center at Emory University in Atlanta, and he turned that center into a center that would work to negotiate peace between warring nations and between factions within the warring nations. He also turned it into a center that was going to try to fight disease in the poorest nations in the world. President Carter and the Carter Center started leading an effort to try to eradicate guinea worm from the continent of Africa. Guinea worm causes everybody who gets it to go blind if they are not treated for it. In 1983 there were three and a half million cases of guinea worm on the continent of Africa. In 2022 there were 13 cases on the continent of Africa. It's due to the work of the Carter Center and the partners that they put together around that. They have almost totally eradicated Guinea worm from that continent. Another thing that President Carter decided to do was to raise money and build houses for Habitat for Humanity. The Carter Center developed uh, uh, huge numbers of volunteers for Habitat for Humanity, and they raised huge amounts of money for that. And two of the volunteers were President and Mrs. Jimmy Carter. The last house that they built for Habitat was when they were 91 years old. So I guess when the rest of us decide we don't quite feel like doing something, we might want to remember that. I just yesterday decided I didn't feel like mowing the yard and I didn't mow it. (laughs) But President Carter (laughs) was mowing his own yard. The former president of the United States mowed his own yard at 90 years old. President Carter could have turned his defeat in 1980 into bitterness, into just utter despair, into laziness, into into just anger at the world. But instead of doing that, he turned it into the biggest victory that he has ever had. The Carter Center has had more positive effect in more areas of the planet than any other single program in the world. And President Carter has not only become an international champion for the Christian faith, but he's also become what even conservative historians call the greatest ex president president in the history of the country. He's an example to others. President Carter reads his Bible every single day. He's in hospice now and still reads his Bible every day. His guiding verse is Romans 8:28, For I know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. <coughs> he has lived out a good example of that verse. Life isn't always about winning in the traditional sense, but winning can be found in losing if we will remember that the Christian faith is always about serving. It's about a different set of values that's invested in the world. And most of the time, if you become a true servant of Jesus, then you are going to end up being a winner when it comes to the values of heaven. Christian winning is about servanthood, and Christian servanthood is about a new way of thinking. It's about seeing life through a new set of values and then living those values in the circumstances in which we find ourselves no matter what is going on. It isn't about trying to shoehorn Jesus into whatever it is that we are wanting into our values and into our desires. It's about actually trying to live out the values of heaven in the circumstances that we find, where we find ourselves. That's what happened with Jesus. He turned things upside down. On Good Friday, the cross looked like it was going to be the ultimate defeat, but God took the worst day in human history and he turned it into history's greatest victory. And then he called the Jesus people to adopt a new way of thinking and a new set of values and to go into the world to try to change the world by being servants of god our job as christians is to empower others by serving them or to say it differently god wants us to change things by being on other people's side to try to help them win instead of competing with other people to try to help us win That's what Jesus meant when he said, In this world the kings and the great men lord it over other people, yet they are called friends of the people, but among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you will take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant, for I am among you as one who serves. That was Jesus' way of saying that greatness in the kingdom of God was more important than greatness in the boardroom. Serving people is more important than bossing people. That's the lesson that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples when they were gathered in that room that night. These who were arguing about who was going to be in first place, they had to stand and watch in shock as the savior of the world, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he started washing their feet. His disciples started arguing about who was going to be the prime minister of the new government. Jesus took on the role of the lowest servant in the room, a servant who would wash the dirt and the grime and the filth and the sweat and the mud off of the feet of a guest. The king started washing people's feet. And then when he got finished, he said, do you understand what I am doing here? Which they did not. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because I am that. And since I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you should wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Jesus was doing two things that night. He was showing the disciples that his kingdom was going to be based on serving others through the love of God, and he was showing them a new face of winning. The highest value in the kingdom of God wasn't going to be who was going to have the most power or who was going to have the top job. It was going to be who was willing to be the most humble servant to a hurting world. Humility doesn't come easy for those of us in America particularly. It's not something that, that most people aspire to, but it is a reality of what our kingdom is supposed to be. Jesus was looking at those people and saying, if you adopt my value system, if you adopt this new way of thinking and living, it'll create a new face of winning for the whole world. One of my favorite writers on practical things is John Maxwell. Don't always agree with John on everything, but he's one of the top experts in effective leadership in the country. Maxwell coined a phrase a few years ago that's not always attributed to him, he's still the one who said it first. It's become quite famous. He said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Maxwell does leadership seminars with, with major companies all over the world, and what a lot of them don't understand is that his entire program is built around teaching people the leadership style of Jesus, even if they don't see that. And when John does those seminars, he's trying to create a new model of winning in those companies. Maxwell has another phrase that he uses a lot. He said, to lead yourself, use your head. To lead others, use your heart. That's what Jesus is saying in these two passages of Scripture that we're looking at. Lead with your heart and treat others the way you want to be treated. If you do, people will follow you. Back in 1990, during the first Gulf War, the one that we call Operation Desert Storm, there were hundreds of thousands of troops in the Middle East who were getting ready to fight to try to liberate Kuwait from the Iraqi army. When Christmas came around, all of those military personnel were away from their families, and and they were sad, and they were worried. They had no idea what this war was gonna be like. The supreme commander of that operation was General Norman Schwarzkopf. General Schwarzkopf was... Was himself a dedicated Christian. He had a ritual that he went through every morning. Every day he got out of his bed, he made his bed in true army fashion, and then he read his Bible, he did his daily devotional, and then he would go to his office. But that day, on Christmas Day, General Schwarzkopf did something that nobody expected the Supreme Commander of the Allied Forces to do. He got dressed. He read his Bible, he did his devotional, and then he went to the enlisted men's mess hall and he started gathering there with the troops. And when the troops came in for breakfast, it was General Schwarzkopf who was standing there serving them breakfast. He had gone in and put on an apron, and he was standing there greeting every one of them, and he was filling their plates with the food that they were to eat. When they got finished serving breakfast, he went through the mess hall. He shook hands with every troop that was in that mess hall, and then he went in and helped clean up the kitchen, and then he went to the next mess hall, and he served those soldiers lunch, and then he shook the hands of those, Those troops, and then he helped clean the kitchen, and then he went to another mess hall, and he served those soldiers dinner, and he shook the hands of those troops, and he helped clean the kitchen, and after every one of those servings, he got up, and he told those men how much he was sorry that they were there on Christmas. He wished them all a Merry Christmas. He apologized to them for having to be away from their families, and then he thanked all of them for their service to their country and to that work. From 5.30 in the morning until 10 o'clock that night, General Schwarzkopf spent Christmas serving food and greeting the troops who were away from their families and who were about to go to war. A couple of years after that, a a veteran of the Gulf War was was being interviewed on TV. Someone asked him what he thought made the most difference in that war. They thought he was going to say the, the, the air forces of the allied nations. What he said was General Schwarzkopf. That veteran told the story that I have just told here this morning, and he talked about how much General Schwarzkopf cared about his troops. And then he said, we would have gone anywhere for that man after he did that. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus got up from a table And he took a towel and a basin, and he started washing the feet of his disciples. He could have had the lowest servant in the room do that job, but he didn't. He washed the feet of everybody in that room, and that included the feet of Judas Iscariot. And then he said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. Someone asked me, how are we gonna grow back to our church after, after COVID? And I said, we're gonna do it the same way that we've grown our church ever since we've been here. We're gonna do it by serving our community and then by inviting people to come and join our servant church. Jesus was a winner because he knew the meaning of love in the form of a servant, which is why he said, I am among you as one who serves. Our calling is to become as much like Jesus as we can. We are to become the love of God in the form of a servant. It's not just to be nice to people. It's not just to do good things for people. Our job is to reveal God to people through the work we do, through the words that we say, through the way that we act in the name of Jesus But you can't do any of that if you don't have the spirit of Jesus in your lives, if you don't have the presence of Jesus in your heart. The presence of Jesus produces a new face of winning. Let's start with Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you today with humble hearts You've set us an example of what humility looks like. You've set us an example of what humility is supposed to be. You've set us an example of what servanthood is supposed to be. You've set us an example of how the church is supposed to function and work and live. Lord, we pray that you will give us the kind of grace that will help us to be that person. Give us the kind of grace that reshapes our lives from the inside out and and turns us into something new. Give us the kind of grace that takes the values that we hold and turns them upside down so that we see them through your eyes instead of just through our eyes. Lord, help us to know that it is by your grace that we are recreated and made new. It is by your grace that, that we become to the world what you would have us become. Help us, O Lord, to come to you today and to ask you sincerely for that grace. Help us to be willing to say, Lord, I know that I need you in my life. I realize that now, and I am asking you to come and to live inside me. Be the presence in my life that I know that I need. Because I know I'm going to mess it up without you, and I pray, O God, that you will live inside me and help me to make the right choices and to move in the right directions and to be the kind of servant you would have me be. Fill us with your grace today, Lord, and make us a people of graceful living. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.
3: About 12 years ago, Michael and I began... um sitting about right back there in the back. We were invited by our son, Matt, who was singing here at the church. And when he would sing solos, he would ask us to come. We weren't attending anywhere because we'd been deeply hurt by other churches. And so we didn't go, but we came there. We brought our baggage and our emotional hurt, and we sat there. But because you were a church, who showed grace like jesus we kept coming and you loved us and um you accepted us because that's what then blacks for baptist church now church on Main, does and you you are the grace of jesus shown um, the lord gave me this song back then And Charlotte helped me score it, and a few months later, I stood here on this platform and sang this song. And I I hope today that it blesses you and that you can um, receive something from it, and I hope that God gets glory for it.
5: Spirit, I could not find my joy. The pain I felt inside of me had the power to destroy. Then you wrapped your arms around me, took me to a higher place, and I stand here. YOUR PRESENCE, LORD, AS I FEEL YOUR AMAZING GRACE. IT WAS THIS GRACE THAT BROUGHT ME TO THIS HOUR, YOUR PATIENT GRACE. FULL OF MERCY AND OF POWER, I'M SO how much you love me and that you've brought me to this place. I am standing in the power of your grace. Now I worship in your temple in such joy I've never known. A strong right hand. power of your grace. It was this grace that brought me to this hour, your patient grace, full of mercy and of power. I'm so amazed how much you love me. You brought me to this place. I am standing.
0: beautiful. Cheryl's also written some of the anthems that our choir has done over the years. She's a very talented musician. She's brought those gifts to us, and we're thankful for that. Today, if you've come to this place and you've chosen to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ today, then let some of us know that and we'll try to help you with the next steps and the step of baptism and to and to bring you into our church. If you have chosen to, to, if you would like to join our church and be part of our mission that we are on, let us know that and we'll help you with that as well. But this is the day that our Lord has given to us. Let us go humbly into that day and let us do the best that we know how to do to be the servant that God's called us to be. Now may the Lord bless and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace this day and every day, now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you, everyone.